Howdy, y'all. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, it works. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> it's going to be a good time tonight, folks. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? You know what we're going to start with? We're going to start with joy, 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 joy. Okay, is that all right? Can we start there? You guys are all like, hmm passively uh, passively agreeing to joy well we're the teachers so we get to do what we say tonight <laughs> so I just want to invite you guys can we share some testimonies about Jesus can we share things we're thankful for can we just start with our eyes fixed on our loved one Jesus can we do that mm -hmm. yeah yeah Okay. Do you want to start? I'll start. Okay. So um, we were in the office preparing today, and I realized that it was a year ago last year that we actually set that office up because the Lord had called me out of working full-time with a, an income that was nicer than my husband's income. No offense, babe. Um, and he called me out to fully trust on him. And for one year, I have not worked in a secular job and have had to fully rely on God for income and support. And we started out with support and income. And when COVID hit, it disappeared. So it's been a complete, full walk of faith and trust. And I can honestly say he has provided for us every single month. And even this month when we thought, hey, nothing's happening, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, something came up and um, I go to New York for a, a, a job, real quick day job and come back and it's meeting all of our needs for the month. So God just is faithful and I am very thankful for that. One year of completely, you know, it's so easy in a society where it's easy just to go out and get a job, right? And when God says, no, that is not for you right now in this season. I want you to learn to trust me. Uh, you know, when you think you have faith down and he calls you into that place, you, you realize how much you don't have faith down at all. And it's been, a, it's been a wrestle, but we have wrestled and he's won. So I'm just really thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Next, come on, let's praise the Lord. Who's God going? Oh, hi, Darlene, come on in. Lynette. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to really? pick on her. <laughs> no? <laughs> now, earlier today, um, we've been working in the house as well, my kids, about a year now. And um, it's getting there. It's still a lot to do. But as I. So good. What are you guys thankful for? Hmm. Hmm. I know we're all pondering deeply. All right, I'll, I'll go. I, I'm a teacher. I can talk all night long. <laughs> I will. Um, so this week, as I often do in this, this journey with Jesus, um, one of the things I thought about is when God called my parents and my mom, um, to do boys. They had a home, they were retired and settled in in New York and loving it. 
And God was like, I want you to pick up and sell everything and come and be um, a support to Mark and Angel and their ministry. And for a retired couple, you know, and all my sisters and all the grandchildren, most of them live up there, for them to sell everything to come here, just literally, God said, I just want you to support Mark and Angel. I want you to hold their arms up in ministry. And that's what they've done solid for a year to, to have parents, one, that are willing to do that, and two, that they followed through with it, and to have them here. It has been such a blessing, and I was just overwhelmed with that the other day because I was at my kitchen sink doing my dishes, and my mom walked by her window. <laughs> the fact that God opened a door for them to buy a house right next door to the parsonage is mind-boggling and blowing and crazy. But when she walked by, I went, Jesus, I am so grateful that we have people who hear the call of God in our lives and act on it in obedience, knowing, I mean, I, I just can't imagine being, no offense, their age and saying, let's sell everything and move to New York and buy a house again, <laughs> go in debt for 30 years. <laughs> I mean, I'll be 100 when it's paid off, but who knows? You know, it just, it... <laughs> It, it blew my mind, and I was just undone by that at the kitchen sink the other day. So I'm just really grateful for parents who have led the way to complete obedience in Christ and that I, I have them here in ministry with us. And I can honestly say they have been lightning bolts for Mark and I and just lifting us up in prayer and just encouraging and supporting. And, you know, the other day I heard a bunch of noise and I knew someone was under my house and Mark wasn't here. And so I knew it wasn't him. And here it was my dad fixing something that he uh, knew needed fixed and nobody asked him to do it. He just went under there and did it. And it's just, I'm just very, very grateful to God for my parents being here. Very much so. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, like she said, I could go all night too. There are so many crazy things that have happened in the past week. Like, so, you know, we're talking about evangelism. That's what this whole class is about. And uh, I think it was last week or maybe week and a half ago now, my mom and I picked up a hitchhiker. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and, um, you know, we we don't just do it just, you know, to do it. But when the Lord kind of prompts us and you just feel that nudge, because we, we know you have to be safe. And so I, I'm checking my spirit and I'm like, no, we, I have to pull over. Like I have to, I have to check and see if they're okay. And so we did, and she did, she needed a ride and we gave her a ride and she's sitting in our back seat and we're just chatting and not saying anything necessarily that would give us away as believers. And out of the blue, she says, do you guys go to church? And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I was praying for an opportunity to evangelize. <laughs> All right, here we go. That's an open door. <laughs> and I'm like, why, yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> do you? <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> and I, so we got to ask, you know, well, why not? What's going on? And 
got to talk with her about her life and um and she was real closed off she didn't want us to know about her life and that's fair because it's as equally uncomfortable being a hitchhiker as it is picking up a hitchhiker you don't know are they gonna kill me are they gonna kill me (laughs) and so i understand she was hesitant to give details and but she alluded to really bad stuff going on in her life in her world and so when we got to her destination we just asked her can we pray for you and got to pray and really just seek the heart of God for this young woman and share with her God's heart for her. And being able to say to her, like, Jesus isn't finished with you and your story. And she just like welled up with tears and she's like, okay, I got to go. You're going to make me cry. I'm done. No, no, no. Peace out. (laughs) Okay. I get it. We all run from God at one time or another, but he's after you and we know where you live now. (laughs) So we'll leave you a little note, a little encouragement. But that was like a beautiful moment because as we've been talking more about more about evangelism, I'm like, God, give us opportunities. And then we host the School of the Presence this past week and we were able to do evangelism. Huh? Huh? <laughs> do you want to share anything about that? Yeah. Do you have something? No. Oh, so <laughs> just checking. Um, we really just want to start out on that joy note on worshiping the Lord with our language, with our ability to testify to his goodness and his presence in our life. Because we're going to talk about some intense stuff tonight. And so I think it's important for us to start out on a really favorable note. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to pray and get into it. All right. Does that sound good? I'm going to stand, and if you want to stand with me, I invite you, but I just want to honor the Lord and give thanks. So, Jesus, oh my goodness, we love you so much. Jesus, you are the best. You are beautiful. You are good and glorious and marvelous. Jesus, you provide for us. Jesus, you open doors that no man can shut, and you shut doors that no man can open. God, we thank you that you are powerful and mighty to save. God, that you are merciful and benevolent, that you are good. You are good, 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 and your mercy triumphs over judgment, that 10 times out of 10 times, you'd rather be merciful than judgmental. God, I thank you that you are the favorable, good king. Jesus, that you, that the government is on your shoulders, that you are the head above everything. You are above it all. You are sovereign. You are glorious. You are perfect. And Jesus, you are the one we worship. We don't worship our president. We don't worship our politics. We don't worship our preference or our opinions. God, we don't worship our family, our children, none of that, God. We say you alone have the first place. And so tonight we lift you up and we exalt you as having the first place, Jesus. And we come tonight humbly before you and ask you to speak to us. We ask that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would quicken to our spirit what you want us to understand, and and that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but it would be transformative life knowledge, that what we would learn would become lived truth, that it would become practically applied in our lives, that we would be transformed into your likeness by the things you teach us tonight, God.
That's our prayer every time we come to your word, that your word would be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path, that you would guide us and direct us and compel us by the power of truth and the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you tonight that we come into your presence. And, Lord, it is with joy and exultation and worship that we enter your gates. With praise and thanksgiving, we come into your courts, God. And so we rejoice and we bless you, Jesus. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, now we're ready. Okay, so if you've been along with this ride with us, you know we're talking about evangelism. And if you haven't been along with us, I will just say we've posted all of our sermons on our podcast. Uh, It's available on Spotify and Google Podcasts and a couple other kind of off-brand ones. It's not on iTunes yet. I'm working on it. It's a little bit fussier to put up there, but uh, it's called Prophetic Truth prophetic truth and our first two episodes like the first two weeks of this are available on that if you'd like to download and listen to those Um, but a quick overview our first week we went over an overview of evangelism and tracking it through the bible what evangelism through the bible looks like and how the call of god has always been for those that don't yet know him he has always desired relationship with us Um, in our second week we went into god's desire to be with us And we talked in depth about the relationship that God desires to have with man and how we can see it mapped through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And and it's just powerful. Like the thing that stood out to me as just like a giant flashing sign um, on our second week, so that was two weeks ago, was Revelations 21, 3 and 4, where it says that God's dwelling place shall be with man. That that his ideal of glory is to be with us, that his desire is not to be separate from us. And so I just want to encourage you again with that, just wherever you're at in your life right now, Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to be here in this room with us. He wants to walk with us and talk with us and be intimate with us. And so we're going to pick up at that place, going into the next part of our gospel journey, which is Unfortunately, despite God's desire to be with us, our sins separated us from God. And so we are going to kick it back, Old Testament, New Testament style, (laughs) the way we've been doing, kind of traveling through the word of God, looking at this point of understanding the gospel. And to give you some insight of what we're going to do tonight is we're content, and then we're going to talk about the scope. So we're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about separation from God, which is hell, and then we're going to look at what, you know, what's the point of understanding this? Why are we even talking about it? How is it relevant to the gospel? Uh, But first, we're going to start with what is sin? So we're going to look at Genesis 3. So if you want to turn to Genesis 3, do you want to read it? So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any of 
any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But the, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man of his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to me, be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in the, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and you, he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweet sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The, men called his, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and, eat, live, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. And he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we see this is how sin entered the world. It started with the sin of Adam and his wife Eve. And this sin, simply put, was disobedience and rejection of God. We're going to look at Romans 5, 12 through 14. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. It says, for as by... The one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, looking forward to Jesus who would come. But so we see that this was the original sin. This was the original introduction of sin into a perfect world. And that sin, like I said, simply put, 
was disobedience and the rejection of God. And so we see that that sin transferred from one man to all men, that they introduced sin to the world and all became sinful. And we know in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're going to go over three definitions of sin, I guess technically four. Um, So the first one is disobedience and rejection of God. That is like the original cardinal sin to reject God, to turn from him. To not invite the Lord to be the Lord of your heart is a sin. And then the second definition of sin is to fall short. Um, And so to fall short, how we get that is, so this New Testament word of sin, the the Greek word is hamartia or hamartia. I'm not quite sure how to say that in Greek, Uh, but it's actually an archery term. And that archery term means to miss the mark. So when they would play archery, when they would shoot archery, they would be aiming for the bullseye. And to miss the bullseye is the word hamartia. And so when they talked about, you know, what is sin, they parabolically described it in this archer's way of, it's like aiming for a bullseye and missing. That's what sin is. It's like trying to walk like God, be like God, be an imitator of God, not be God, but to be a child of God and to walk in his ways and to miss it. So to miss the mark, that is sin. So try as you might, practice as you will, you still miss the bullseye. That's sin. And so when we talk about this mark or this bullseye um, and what it is that we're aiming for, it's something that can only be defined by God's standard. And it's an absolute standard. It's not relative. You want the Matthew? Mm. Yeah, so the standard for sin is it's an, an immoral act considered to be transgression against divine law. It's lawlessness. Mm, okay. Yeah, so if you turn to Romans 9.20... And, um, man, I tell you, when we began, when we knew, when we knew that this was going to be our subject a couple of weeks ago, that this is where we were headed, we both had to wrestle out this subject, just so you know. So it's been a wrestle match with us and Jesus. And, you know, you can say you believe in hell and you believe in God and all of those things. But when push comes to shove, how much do you know? and How much do you believe? And what are you willing to stand on? And so uh, it's been a wrestling match. And so we have read books and listened to sermon and studied the Bible and wrestled some more and cried a lot. Um, so a really good reference book for you, I would highly suggest, is it's called Erasing Hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. And he wrestled out this very subject, and he does it in a book format where he wrestles out his struggle with all of the questions that we all have about hell and sin and all of the questions that everybody has about hell and sin. And he wrestles it out for you and answers all the questions and points you in the right direction. But I will say it was painful to read and a little undoing, you know, because it's hell. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. 
So he makes a statement about how in Romans, in Romans 9, 20, it's the story of the potter and the clay. We might as well turn there. You know, and I've read this story a lot, but in the, it really hit me in this content. It says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand in the glory. And when I read that, and I read this in, in this context, I just, I struggled. <laughs> I struggled. I'm just going to be real. And so then I read in this book, and he says, we need to become a people that surrender our, per, our perceived right to determine what is just and humbly recognize that God alone gets to decide how he is going to deal with people. And he goes on to say, I often hear people say, I could never love a God who would. And he says, who would what? Who would disagree with you and do things that you would never do? Who would allow bad things to happen to people? Who would be more concerned with his own glory than your feelings? Who would send people to hell? But this makes about as much sense as the clay looking up to the potter and saying, I really think you messed up here. Let me show you a better way to mold me. And think of the absurdity of that, of us saying to our creator, I can do a better job than you with handling the people around me. And I just, it, it hit me between the eyes because in Isaiah, 55, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he talked about how, as believers, we often don't want to talk about hell. We, we, we hide that aspect of God away from the world because we just don't want to go there. And by hiding it, by not discussing it, by not talking about it, now we have all of these theologies about hell out there that are not truth. And we've done a disservice to a world that is dying and headed there. And so in this wrestle for me, it has been all about hell is real whether we like it or not, and he is a good father, and his ways are not my ways, and I don't understand all of it, but there's a much bigger picture that we don't understand and don't see. And so as we begin to move through this, let's not be a people who says, God, but I would do it differently because I know best. God, this isn't the way that I would handle it because I, I know people better than you. 
because I mean, I was I there when you formed man in dust and they chose sin over being with you. So I had to do a really big attitude check of my attitude about hell and the way that God is. And ultimately, I landed on the character and nature of God. The purpose of Jesus, and we'll get into more next week, is that not one would perish. Yeah. Um, So... I'm going to jump back a minute to the the concept of God's standard being absolute and not relative. Uh, you know, because when we think about this this bullseye on a target, like what she's saying about this potter and the clay, the clay doesn't get to determine what that mark of bullseye is. The potter does. The potter determines the purpose for that piece, and and the potter determines what is the standard and the mark of success, whether or not. Um, that clay pot is achieving the purpose it was created for. The potter gets to determine that. It's not something we get to determine. And so that's what that's what makes hell such a controversial topic is, you know, and it's even something that I think we kind of started to talk about our first week was, you know, well, how, how, how do we get to say that that person gets to go to hell? Like, aren't they good enough? And well, this person did enough good, so why why can't that one go to go to heaven? Or, you know, why does it have to be only salvation that gets a person to heaven? Why why can't just good people go to heaven? I think that those are some of the questions that came up in our first week when we started this study. And it's drawing back to the, the understanding that even Jesus himself said when he was approached by a young ruler who said, um, you are a good man. And he said, only God is good. No man is good. And so we have to bring it back to this, this revelation that all have sinned. We are all deserving of hell. We are not good. And I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you that the people pleaser in me is like, I can't believe you just told a whole room full of people. They're not good. (laughs) But, but that is the fact of the matter is we are not good. Only God is good. And so we are deserving of hell. You know, and so God gets to determine what is those marks, what is bullseye. Um, and one of one of the great resources that I tapped into when studying this out was Ken Ham's Answers in Genesis. And he he does a really good job of breaking down these big and scary topics into bite-sized pieces. Um and so I have this great article that I'm not going to read all of, but just pieces of it. And he he shares a couple points that I want to point out. Um, so he talks about, he, he gives two examples. And one is, imagine a world where there was no God who would give an idea of justice. And justice is right versus wrong, correct? Um, justice is understanding like this is how when bad things happen, we deal with it. This is justice. So everyone would do what his own collection of atoms in his brain tells him to do, whether it's murdering someone who gets in their way or stealing food from someone who has more than him 
why would that collection of atoms that compose my brain be any better at determining what is right than the next person's? In fact, many were upset that the Columbine and Virginia Tech shooters killed themselves before justice could be served. And we become angry when we're wronged. We all want justice. And that sense of right and wrong comes only from a standard of morality found in the Bible. So you cannot claim that it is, quote unquote, bad for God to send someone to hell. There's no consistent logical basis apart from the Bible to claim what is good or what is bad. Um, And then he says, without God's standard of goodness, without a logical basis for claiming something is good, then we become the standard for determining what is good. And when we follow that method of thinking, people like Darwin come up with what they define as good, and they define good as eliminating people that are weak. That's what Hitler did. Just going to throw that out there. He eliminated the weak because he saw fit that that was good. So, And others will claim that lying to get ahead is good. Why would their morality be any different or better than the morality of, say, this is funny, a promiscuous man who claims that it is good for him to impregnate many women? Who am I to tell him that he's wrong, particularly when he's being so successful at passing on his genetic material? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he meant that sarcastically. That's why I use such a sarcastic tone. But that, that's what happens when we rely on our determination of good, of what that bullseye is. We are left to create marks that are within our reach that are less than God. And so that's really to bring revelation to what Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has established what that mark is in an absolute way, and we have fallen short of it. And us falling short of it, Romans 6.23, the payment for having fallen short of that is death, is separation from God. So... Sorry, that's kind of heavy. I warned you tonight was going to be heavy. We're going to linger in this heaviness, though. So like I said, we're going to define a couple variations of sin. So the first one, again, was disobedience and rejection of God. The second one is falling short. The third is an immoral act. It is wickedness. And so 1 John 3, 4 tells us that everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And we see that in Galatians 5, 19 through 21a, it is the works of the flesh. It says the works of the flesh is evident. And they are, and it lists them out. I'm not going to go through them all, but it it talks about sexual immorality and um, envy and bitterness and orgies and, you know, all these things that are the works of the flesh. They are acts against God's moral law. And God's moral law is the Ten Commandments. And Jeremiah later tells us it's that which is written on our hearts, which leads us into our fourth point, that sin, uh, the fourth definition of sin, sin is not doing what you know is right. And so this is the law written on your heart. This is the conviction of the Lord. And we see a great example of what that is in Romans 14, 1 through 12. I'm going to jump there. Okay, so you're following me so far. So, so there's this falling short that we're talking about. There's wickedness. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not spending a lot of time on that because I think we can, all, we can look at something and know when it's wicked. You can tell when something is perverse and just wrong, that it's not what God intended. But this sin, not doing what you know is right, can be a little cloudy for some of us. I think we were actually having a conversation about this at one point. Um, 
but sorry, I'll give you James 4.17 first. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so that becomes the conviction of the Lord. That, that is that which is written on your heart from the Lord not to do. So these are like extra from the Ten Commandments. So for example, we see this in Romans 14, 1 through 12. I'm going to pick up at verse 5. Um, and it says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains from eating abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that we might be that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. It says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before God, before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So there will be times where the Lord says to you, I want you to fast. I want you to abstain from eating. And for you to eat would be to sin. You would be disobeying God's call to fast. If the Lord said, I want you to set aside this day for me. And you say, no, actually, I've got my own plans. I got stuff going on that day. I want to do stuff. For you, that is sin. You know, Angel gave the great example. Do you want to give your conviction? Yeah, um, a few years ago, I I would come home from work and have a glass of wine and didn't see anything of it, but I was on a, um, didn't think about it, and it just became more and more frequent, didn't think about it at all, and I was on my way to Russia on a missions trip, <laughs> and the Lord's like, since when did you start turning to a glass of wine to calling your nerves instead of spending time in my presence? And from this moment forward, I don't ever want you to touch alcohol to your lips again. And I, and, and I was like, for me to drink would be sin at this point in time in my life. So I've never touched it since because that is my personal conviction. I cannot drink because of that very moment with Jesus. So I don't drink. It's my conviction. Yeah. And so there will be times where apart from just the Ten Commandments that we know are explicit law of God, explicit moral behavior, God will speak implicit things to you that are convictions for you. You know, maybe he says, I want you to Sabbath on Thursdays. And for you to fill your day on Thursdays with busyness and activities and complete disregard for the Lord, that could be sin. Um, if the Lord, like I said, if the Lord calls you to fast and you say, you know what, I really like food more than you, <laughs> I'm going to eat instead. You know, of course, we would never say that, but with our actions, we do convey that to the Lord. That is a sin counted against us. So there are these, these differentiations of sin to blatantly do evil, but then also, you know, it's not evil to eat. It's not evil to work. But if we do outright against God, disobey him, reject him, that is sin. It throws it back to the original sin to reject him, to disobey him as Adam and Eve did in the garden. So that, that's really the core of what sin is. And so I just wanted to, I felt like to point this out. Where does sin start? 
and we find it in Matthew 5:19. From out of the heart come evil thoughts. Evil thoughts of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And followed up with James 1, 14 and 15. Uh, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, will give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. So do not be deceived, my brothers. So it is this sin that gives birth to death. And it starts in our thoughts. It starts in our heart. And so we have to be so intentional about the thoughts we're thinking. And, and taking inventory regularly, daily, of how our thought life is. How our heart attitude is. You know, if you catch yourself making faces when, when the person turns around, <laughs> you, you probably got to check your heart, you know, or if you catch yourself muttering under your breath or, you know, like Alyssa had this personal growth victory of not having a comment. That's huge. That's sin being cleaned out of your life, baby girl, like 10 out of 10. That's huge. And so we should rejoice as we grow through these things, that our hearts are becoming more pure, that our thoughts are becoming more pure. But it starts there. It starts with recognizing that in us. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to segue. But before we do, do you guys have any questions about sin? Yeah. So her question was, when we intentionally sin, is that when we grieve the Holy Spirit? Yeah? Is that true, Mark? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, he created us. He's the only one that has a right to send us sin again. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things as we segue into hell is in back in Genesis 3, in the ESV, I have a study Bible. It talked about um, how by... Um, let me just read it. It'll be easier. 
Satan has always tempted individuals to believe that they can be like God and decide for themselves what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. An unexpected result of trying to be like God was the reality that Adam and Eve separated themselves from God Almighty and became false gods to themselves. Just let that sink in for a minute. People still today try to gain moral knowledge and make ethical judgments using these own, their own reasoning rather than God's word. But God is still the ultimate judge of what is right and what is wrong. You know, and, and we, we were talking in that moment is the, the whole reason hell was created because a lead angel decided that he would be a better God than the God that was there. And so hell had to be created in the first place. And then man, Adam and Eve, decided that they had better judgment than God. And so sin came into the world. And to this day, that is still the wrestle that we wrestle out because when we make a judgment to, in our own lives, of choosing sin over God's ways, in is in turn making yourself a God in your own life that you know better than he does, and your ways are better. And that... Just, just so you know that my, my wrestle, I, my rebellion went real low, real fast because it was like God, I have no right to anything at this moment in time. That you are the ultimate judge, and I don't want to be a god in my own life and make my own judgments. Yeah, there was this crazy verse. Let's go to it. It's Matthew twenty three fifteen. <clears throat> Man, it like rendered us speechless when uh -huh. we read it. We read the uh, the commentary on it. I'm like shook, y'all. <laughs> I did like Bible search keyword hell, and I was like, let's see what comes up. <laughs> and this verse, it, and I went, I've never read this verse in my life. How is that even possible? I thought I've read, you know, I probably have read it, but it didn't stick out to me at the time. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, my word, it says that. And so it says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, which is a disciple. And when he becomes a proselyte or disciple, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Oh, that's like a firm backhand from Jesus to the Pharisees. Can you read the, the commentary? Yeah, so in, in the commentary down below, um, there's a lot. Um, it just says, uh, Jesus describes the character of false teachers and preachers as those who seek to be popular with others, who love honor, who want to be highly honored because of their positions and titles. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees had done. And he goes on to say, those in the church who under the pretense of love, tolerance, and unity refuse to recognize and speak out against this false behavior according to God's word are actually participating in the evil works of false prophets and teachers. And I, yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we as a church have allowed because we've been so afraid to show this side of God to a lost and dying world. We have become false teachers and false prophets and said that everybody goes to heaven. 
That's God's heart. It's what he wants. That's why he sent his son. But the reality is there is sin and there is hell. And we get to choose where we spend eternity. Whew. All right, so let's dive into hell. <laughs> is hell real? Uh, it's, it's actually a question that a lot of people ask. And if you were to ask people on the street, do you believe in heaven and hell? They'd probably say, I believe in heaven, but not so sure about hell, right? Mm -hmm. But hell is real, and Jesus talked a lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the places that he talks about it is Matthew 25, verse 41. And it's here where he elucidates the purpose of it and who it was made for. Mm -hmm. um, Mark kind of stole our thunder a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> no shame in getting to the good news faster. Amen. Amen. Um, so verse 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So this tells us what the original intention of hell was, that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, and you can see the fall of Satan in Ezekiel and Isaiah as told by the prophets and, we, we know, like Angel had, had just shared, that Satan was originally the choir master of heaven. His job was to release the Hallel in, in the kingdom of heaven. It was his job to call the angels to worship the Lord. And through his pride, he believed he could be a better God than God. And so he fell, and the Lord cast him out of his sight. And that is why God created hell was not for us. God never, ever wanted separation from us. Never wanted it. He created hell for the devil and his angels. Um, unfortunately, it's when we choose to become children of hell and children of the devil that we get condemned to hell. So the question, who is hell for? Hell is for those who reject God. It is for unbelievers. But remembering the fact that we are all sinners deserving of hell. Uh, and there, there was a quote in this book. I don't remember where it's at, if you can find it. But it talks about how... Let's see if I can remember. <laughs> how... Oh, it's the, it's the Romans consciousness of God... Do you remember? Um, he talks about how when God created us, he created us with an awareness of his presence. And we know that from Romans 1.20, that, um, so that there is no excuse for any. We are all aware of the invisible properties and attributes of God surrounding us, that, that no one would have an excuse for not knowing God. And so... We are, we can be condemned by, by not, not just choosing to become a Satanist, choosing to do the most evil things ever. We, we are condemned by not accepting Jesus, you know, and reading this article from Ken Ham, it was really a response to a woman who wrote in and, and she had said to him, uh, if a person leads a good life but isn't introduced to the Christian faith and doesn't accept Jesus as their Savior but is good to their fellow man, how can God punish them with eternal misery? Um, 
And he answers her just beautifully. Uh, he explains to her that it's, did you find it? Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. All right. So it, it actually was one of the questions. It's what about the person who has never heard the gospel? And he says, this is a tough one. It comes up in almost every mm-hmm. Bible study I've ever taught. What about the man in the jungle who has never heard the gospel and therefore never has the opportunity to accept Jesus? What if he simply responds to the light he's been given? He lived as best he could, and if he had heard the gospel, he probably would have believed it. Will God save such a person? And, yeah, Francis goes on to say, and everything in me wants to say yes, because saying yes makes sense. Yes seems fair. But here's the problem. There's nothing in scriptures that says anyone will be saved apart from faith in Jesus. Scripture also teaches that so-called light we've all been given through creation, what theologians call general revelation, is sufficient to condemn, but not sufficient to save. In other words, when people look at creation and see that there must be a God, and yes, have no way of knowing his name or the plans of salvation, the Bible says that these people do not respond positively to such light. And in Romans 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This passage says that all people have been given light, a general knowledge that there is a God, and yet all people reject this knowledge and are therefore without excuse. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. And yeah, man, and that, that just, that just brings a heaviness to evangelism, you know, that, that we have a responsibility to live a life that draws men unto a savior and preach the good news wherever we go. We have a responsibility and the heaviness of the message of hell should compel us to that responsibility. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions Honestly, any questions about how, about sin as we're talking about it? Have you have you come across anyone that has had questions that have have asked you about how? Well, what they ask you?
share the gospel with your brother again <laughs> and again and again and again. Sometimes I, on a side note, I will say I, sometimes I feel like daily I need to be saved, <laughs> you know, because our, what, how do you say it? It's like we're broken up into body, spirit, and soul, and our spirit gets saved immediately when we, when we receive Christ and are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But our soul is continually being saved and refined and renewed day by day. And so we need to hear the gospel regularly. And so I would continue to be a witness to your brother and a testimony, a living example to him, conveying the message to him verbally, non-verbally, etc. No, that's that's conviction. Mm -hmm. Some people are just convicted by being in your presence, and so they they don't want to be convicted. They don't want to feel bad for what they're doing, so they'll they'll reject you in the process for it. So the key for him is pray and fasting, prayer and fasting. You know, take. Yeah. Well, it's because we are so undone by it. I, I, it's a wrestle we all have. I, I don't want to think that there's anybody in my life that would choose hell and that they're headed there. You know, so my heart is, God, God I want them in heaven with me. Why does there have to be a hell for them? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I mean, I know we're speaking to believers, and so I want to I want to speak to believers for a minute, and then give this scope and trajectory of why is this relevant for the gospel. But as believers, you know, I think it was like two Sundays ago. Mark's sermon was, he, he, he tied this piece, this element in of fear of the Lord. And, and I don't remember in what manner, but I remember that morning I was getting ready and I literally thought to myself, am I saved? <laughs> I was like, am I going to heaven? How do I know? Am I sure? Do I really know? What gets you into heaven? 
<laughs> and I really had to have that moment. And I was like, Jesus, are we good? Is there any separation between us? Because separation from God doesn't have to be a big sin. It doesn't have to be becoming a serial killer. It could be this slow onslaught of offense building in your heart where you get more and more bitter and you hate more and more people. It could be this slow onset of of um, building a wall of self-protection like Marla and I encounter with someone today, building this wall up bigger and bigger and bigger until you're numb and you can't feel anything. No one can get you. God can't get you. You zone everyone out and you're completely isolated. You know, separation doesn't have to just be that, that moral wickedness. It could, it could be what you know you should do, but you're not doing it. And it's that slow build that creates more and more disconnection from God. And so I want to challenge my room full of believers to check your heart because while you guys aren't unbelievers, you're not going to hell based on resurrection. I want to encourage you to continue to purify your heart before the Lord and to seek deeper connection, continued connection, um, longer stamina and endurance of connection with the Lord. You know, because our soul does need to be constantly saved and renewed and transformed in his presence. Um, but I, I do want to speak to the purpose. You know, as believers, like Angel said, we should be compelled with an urgency to go and to share the gospel. You know, we, we watched a video, I think, the first or second week, and and the, the young man at the end said to this guy who was sharing the gospel with him, he said, man, I can tell you really care about people. And that's why you're telling me this because, because the, the man sharing the gospel with him shared it in such a way that he's and all that stuff. Um, but he, he shared it in a way of like, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you're going? And he's saying, I'm, you know, I'm asking you cause I genuinely care about you. Like you could die and go to hell. Your future is not guaranteed. And that young man felt that care. He felt the concern and he thanked him for it at the end. And so for us to be people burdened with compassion for the world around us, you know, you, you don't have to hold up a sign that says you're going to hell, you sinner. You know, we, we don't have to do that. But you can say to someone you genuinely care about, where are you with the Lord? You know, do you have a belief system? What do you have in place? Do you know what would happen to you if you die? Because I genuinely care about you and I want to see you in heaven. You know, like a woman, Marla and I talked to today, she had said to her husband, I'm going to heaven and I need to know if you're going to be there. <laughs> Are we going to be in heaven together forever or not? <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's what love says. Love really says that. Apathy wouldn't say that. Indifference wouldn't say that. Hate wouldn't say that. Hate would say, you know what? Go to hell. Cause you know, they do, they say that quite a lot and that's unfortunate. And that's, that's a heart fruit of hate. And we want to help people. We want to stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. We want to stand there so the gates of hell would not prevail. We want to stand on behalf of people and offer them life-giving water that they would never thirst again, that they could know salvation. You know, and one of the things that Todd White is most known for saying is it's not just about getting you to hell. It's, or sorry, it's not just about getting you to heaven. It's about getting heaven into you. Right. And so more than just being saved and more than just escaping hell is heaven. And we're not going to go too deep into that because 
we're saving that for the actual night where we talk all about it. It's really hard. Let me tell you, it's really hard just to only talk about one topic when you share the gospel. So many times I'm like, can we just get to the heaven part? Can we just talk about Jesus and the goodness of the Lord? And it's like, we have to talk about sin and hell. So I'm sorry. I hate this topic too. But we have to look at it because Jesus spoke about it. So anyways, so I go ahead. Yeah, um, it's the whole, the urgency thing. I I think one of the things that we've done too is we've done this whole friendship gospel thing that we've lost the urgency of actually going to people and saying, do you know where you will spend eternity? I care too much about you to just let you keep living the way that you're living and not tell you that there's a better good. And, you know, Paul, and I'm not where Paul was, but Paul says this great verse in Romans 9 that, I just, I just think, I would never say this, but this is what Paul says. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He would rather spend eternity in hell to see one go to heaven. And I, I think that's where we have to get to as, an, as a church, as the body of Christ, is that that at any cost, I want to see you in heaven and get over ourselves and our fear. And, and f- I, I don't want to put friendship gospel down because it's good, but it's not evangelism, not the only way to evangelize. And I think we need to get back to opening our mouths. And um, yeah, and I believe there's an urgency for it. There is an urgency. Our world has gone so far away from I cannot tell you how many Christians, when we started this, have asked about hell and they don't believe in it. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe that hell exists. And that's devastating. That is devastating. Because if, if hell ain't so bad, if, if hell ain't real, then the cross is no good. What's the point of the cross? And I just, uh, there is an urgency. If the body of Christ is saying there is no hell, then how many Christians are making it to heaven? There is an urgency. We need to start opening our mouths and we need to become like Paul who says, I would rather go to hell than see you there. And I am not there in any way. I don't like evangelism. It scares me to death. But I've gotten to the point where, God, you've got to give me the courage and the boldness to speak up and to show the world that you are real and hell is real. Yeah, so I thought of a story briefly while she was talking. And it just happened a couple weeks ago when we went out to Eaton Park one night (laughs) after Feel the Fire. And uh, we had a server. And I just, I just was really full on, on the Lord after feel the fire. And I was like, I want to evangelize. Like I'm just pumping full of Jesus. Just got to pour it out on someone. And, um, on the car ride over. (laughs) And so we were talking on the car ride over about raising the dead. And there was a guy in, I think the Punxsy hospital or the Dubois hospital who came back from the dead. It was an accident, but he came back from the dead. And I was like, Okay, I'll just t- I'll tell you the story. Your looks are telling. Okay, so there was this guy who died, and the chaplain came and prayed for the widow, prayed over the man, and 
sorry, the nurses went to, to move him in the bed to sit him up. So when the family came, they could say their goodbyes. And when they did, they dropped him and he fell on the floor and boop, he came back to life. <laughs> he was alive. And so they put him back in the bed and he lived for three more days. And then he died again. Um, but my, my aunt is a florist and she told us the story cause she got this, she got the order for flowers and then they had to cancel cause they're like, he's not dead anymore. <laughs> and then they called back and they were like, okay, he's dead. <laughs> so I mean, I really, it was like local and I was like, who's that chaplain? What'd they pray? <laughs> I was like, have them at my bedside when I go. <laughs> But so we were talking about that. We're like, how cool, like the dead came back to life here locally. Like, I don't know if it was the priest prayer or the nurse and and the, you know, palpitation of the heart or who knows what it was. Maybe God just wasn't done and someone needed to say goodbye. I don't know. But it happened is the point. So we're talking about the dead raising. And so we walk into Eaton Park and we sit down and I say to our server, hey there, how's it going? And he's like, "Uh, something like, glad I'm not six feet under or just, just another day where I'm six feet above ground rather than six feet below. And I instantly out of my mouth, it's like stupid fell out, (laughs) but for Jesus, like stupid, foolish for Jesus. So it's okay. And out of my mouth pops. Well, if you were to die, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? (laughs) He just looks at me wide eyed, (laughs) like, (laughs) and and he's like, what kind of like zombie question is that? (laughs) And I was like, well, we were just talking about raising the dead. And he's like, it's a little early to talk about Halloween, isn't it? And I was like, no, we're believers and we believe in that. And we could pray for you if you died. And he's like, okay, what do you want to drink? (laughs) (laughs) But we kept at him all night long. And by we... We will say Katie. (laughs) I kept elbowing them. I was like, be bold with me. Be bold. Say something. And they were like, I don't think so. And I was like, okay, I'll be the foolish one. The whole time. (laughs) She just said that. She went there. I mean, go big or go home. Be bold for Christ in Jesus name. Right. So I just was being bold and, you know, but it led to many points of conversation and deflection on his part, which is fine. But we ended up um, writing him a prophetic word, a prophetic note and gave it to him and bolted. Right. And so he couldn't see the note. He, you know, we're thinking, Oh, he'll just think it's a thank you note, but he'll open it like, bam, it's Jesus. And so let's go. And we went back a month later and he was our server again. And as he, he took, he was like, Oh no, it's you guys. (laughs) Great. Here we go. Takes our drink order, walks away, turns around and pulls out of his little apron thingy the note and he goes by the way I carry it every day put it back in and walked in the kitchen and I was like oh we're gonna talk about that (laughs) when you get back here we're gonna talk (laughs) and he didn't he came back and I was like say captain huh I was like you believe in Jesus and he's like I never said I didn't you're the one who thought I didn't and I was like I gave you plenty of opportunity to confess it and you did I was like I was just willing to share the gospel man So I say all that to say that can even be a fun point of conversation. (laughs) And I say fun loosely, right? Because it was, it was terrifying. And I really did feel like I opened my mouth and stupid fell out. Cause I was like, you just said that. And I was like, there is no going back. Holy macaroni. (laughs) You cannot turn a conversation back after that. You can't just pretend to be normal after that. Like there, 
you're just a freak for Christ at that point. So you just got to own it and go with it. A Davidic worship in your underwear, just totally vulnerable. So anyways, all that to say, share the gospel. They're going to hell and we're just letting them. And we don't have to let them go to hell. You know, like, And so she is regularly sitting by their bedside, praying for them, talking to them, asking them those hard questions, but gentle, led by the Lord. You're, you know, it's no, it's no secret they're about to die. And so she has this beautiful opportunity to ask them, would you like to go to heaven? When you die, would you like certainty of knowing you're going to go be in peace now? And so far, all of them have said yes. And so she's literally standing in front of the gates of hell, redirecting the traffic. There they are about to go in the gates of hell. And she's like, you know, that's not your only option. You could, you could go a different direction. And when someone's offered that, they choose it. There are very few people that go, sign me up for hell. The ones who do think that there's a party in hell, right? And there is no party in hell. And so it would be good to encourage those people with questions. Well, how do you know your friends are going to hell? How do you know they're going to party in hell? You know, and explaining that it is isolation and darkness, it is not partying with the devil himself, the king of rock and roll and sex and drugs. It's not that at all. You know, there's just so many misconceptions around it. And so it's healthy for us to open dialogue around these topics with the people we love and to be bold enough to ask them the hard questions and say, you know, it's okay if we, we disagree. We can agree to disagree for this time. My opinion's not going to change. I hope yours will. You know, if they, if they don't believe in hell, but having those dialogues and just opening it up and you won't believe what the Lord will do. You know, I often find with all the students that I've worked with over the years, I would always get in such distress over the conversations I had with them when they would open up and share things. I'd be like, oh man, they, they are in dire straits. Like if they don't get their lives worked out with Christ, like they're going to go down a bad path. And I'm like worried about them. And I'm like, I can't even believe they said that. I can't even believe they believe that. And then before I know it, a couple days later, they'll come to me and they're like, had a couple quiet times since we talked and the Lord's totally changed my heart. And I'm like, like, we don't have to discredit God from the conversation. Like God is very capable of explaining and bringing conviction to a person whether or not hell is real. If we give God that opportunity. I was just reminded of the story. This one time in Panama, we had this guy who came and worked with us as a volunteer and typically only saved people apply to volunteer at a missions base in the middle of the jungle working with unreached people groups right like nobody just signs up and is like sounds fun because it's not so <laughs> so like nobody does that we're like must be saved like it wasn't even a question didn't even think to ask it he gets there he is not saved and we the more we talk to him he's like it's so important to love demons. It is just so important that we love even our enemies. You know, the good teacher Jesus taught us to love our enemies. So you just love the devil with all your heart, mind, and soul. And we're like, oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. I was like, where do I even start? 
And so I have a couple talks with him and I'm, I leave scratching my head and I'm like, dear Jesus, you're going to have to do something drastic because I can only explain that hell is real so many times to someone who says, but God is love, you know, and it's just, it's all a feel good, hippy dippy, woo, quasi posse vibes. And you're like, no, son, wake up. <laughs> and so I pray for him. <laughs> Sorry. I pray for him and I'm like, Jesus, I know hell's real. And you know hell's real, but this boy doesn't. Can you show him? Amen. And I'm like, they're there. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. (laughs) He comes running up the stairs at five in the morning, banging on my door the next morning. And he says, I need to talk to Katie. I need to talk to Katie. And I come out groggy eyed and I'm like, what is going on? And he says, God took me to hell last night and I, I'm wrecked and I need, I need to process. And I'm like, (laughs) what? What? And in the same way that we can have dreams and visions in the night where Jesus reveals himself to us and speaks to us, right? Jesus revealed himself to him in that night in a dream and took him on a journey to hell and walked him through different doors in hell. And he had the most vivid experience where he was beat and tortured by demons because he really was living apart from Christ. He, he couldn't confess Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior of his life. He, he was a, you know, all roads lead to love and all roads lead to life kind of universal idea. And so when he got there, the demons, said, the demons told him basically the only, the only thing we um, can stop or the only, the only way we stop is if you say the name of Jesus. Like they gave him the secret code and he was like, okay, Jesus. And they stopped and Jesus came and stood by him and took him out of it. He said, I needed you to understand that that was real. That's a real place. And you will really go there if you don't call on my name for salvation. And so that, that boy was like, I need you to lead me to Jesus right now. <laughs> I do not want to end up there because it was such a radical experience for him. I mean, it was bad. Like he, he went in depth, the evil things that happened to him in his dream. And I, I mean, I've never heard anyone have that kind of experience ever but when I listened to him, I was like, there's no way he could make this up because he didn't believe in hell there. He couldn't just make this up. So we prayed and he received Jesus and I didn't have to do anything. You know, I planted seeds. I was like, okay, here's where the scripture says it's real. And he said, nope, I don't believe it. I said, well, okay, Jesus can deal with you. And Jesus sure did. And so God is faithful. God is faithful to your loved ones. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to your prayers. He hears you as you cry out for your loved ones. And he's not done. He's not done with your brother, not done with your family. He's not done. You know, we sang this chorus over and over again at the DC rally. Um, If the story isn't good, then it's not over. Because that's who God is. In the end, he gets his way. He doesn't walk away pouting as the victim or the loser. Jesus is triumphant. Jesus is the victor. And so we go out with the good news. So if it's not good, the story's not over. So good. And, and the, the thing is, she's telling the story is Jesus wants that person next to you as much as you want that person next to you. Like his heart is after them as much as your heart is after them. And the beauty of Jesus in in evangelism is, God, uh, this weekend we went out, and I usually go out with Katie because Katie loves evangelism. It's so easy for her. It just flows, and I'm like, yeah, good, 
I'll, I'll lay hands. <laughs> and she does all the talking. It's beautiful. It works great. And we got separated this weekend, and I was the leader of the team who does not talk, does not evangelize. And the person that I went with doesn't speak a whole lot of really good English, so it was even better. So... <laughs> And I was like, Jesus, what, what are you doing? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And he said, I want you to go buy flowers. And I, who doesn't want flowers? And just go hand out roses to a bunch of people and pray for women. And so that's what we did. Jesus works with our insecurities and he works with our weaknesses and he makes it a strength. And so Carmi and I went out in her broken English and my petrified in my boots and even stuttering and we handed out roses, and we were rejected, but I, first, who rejects flowers? But obviously, there are people who reject flowers. I, and we just, the Lord said, I want you to hold the flower until you tell them the gospel. So I'd hold the flower and said, would you like this flower? Jesus loves you, and he's after you. And I don't know if you have a relationship with him, but he, know, he wants you to know that you are loved and seen and heard today. And that's what we did. And some people let us pray. Some people took the flower. Some people didn't want it. But Jesus worked with my insecurity to help me evangelize in a way that was comfortable for me because he loves me as much as he loves the person standing in front of me. And so as we have talked about a really difficult subject, an unpopular message in a world who doesn't want to hear it, it is vital that we become people who are passionate about the lost and the dying and let hell compel us to a place of loving the one in front of us. You know, there's a quote in the book that says, let's stop trying to rationalize hell away and start talking about the way to avoid hell. Mm -hmm. And let that be our marching orders for the week. Yeah, the last thing that I want to touch on, because I realize I have in my notes and I forgot to touch it, um, is is the other purpose of the of sharing the gospel or sorry the the other purpose of understanding hell is real is that it compels us to live differently when we realize that it's a real place it forces us to live in that awareness and to live differently so that our lives do reflect heaven um and just two other things i had written down were you know sin is anything that we have in common with the devil Yeah, I know. Sin is anything we have in common with the devil. Yeah. And then Jonathan Edwards has this quote that says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And so... (laughs) I know. Let me say say that again. (laughs) You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So we ought to live different. And living different means living a lifestyle of repentance. And repentance is actually a joyful thing. Because when you realize all these things we've talked about, that we, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned and our sin has made us eligible for darkness, isolation, and an eternal damnation damnation separated from the love of God for eternity. 
when we realize that that's what we're destined for and he saved us and rescued us, that makes us live different. When we realize our salvation and the joy of it, repenting is this joyful trade. It's, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Thank you that you take this far from me so I can be connected with you and live in eternal security and joy in heaven. And that is good news. And that's the good news we get to go tell people is we're living this lifestyle that is radically transformed. Some of us have just been saved too long. We forgot. We forgot that sin equals eternal damnation and separation from God. And so salvation is a joy experience. It is a joy explosion. It is holy moly, me oh my. (laughs) I am free because sin equals slavery. It equals death. And sorry, I just, I got back on the soapbox and I started preaching again. (laughs) But it is joyful. So we ought to live a different life. Our life ought to look joyful. It ought to be a lifestyle of repentance, trading God, our sin and slavery for freedom and destiny. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) 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 Quick pray. (laughs) We can get her going again real easy. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the price that you paid for our salvation. Father, and we thank you that you drew us to you, that you beckoned us, that you called, that you pursued, that you left the 99 to come after each of us. God, and may we never, ever, ever take that gift of salvation for granted. Lord, may we be undone by it all the time to a place that compels us to surrender our life to you daily. And the joy that overflows in our heart, may it compel us to tell everybody we know about the good news of the King of glory who died and made a way for our salvation. God, go with us from this place. Be with us. Speak to us in our dreams. Commune with us at every moment as we walk along life's journey with you by our side. We love you, Lord, and we love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for the price. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our guide, our teacher, our comforter here on this earth. In your holy name we pray, amen. And give us opportunities to share the gospel boldly.